0: this text. I was just thinking as we were worshiping, I'm not sure of any other words of Mary except in John 2. Now, I might be wrong about that. She might have said something else in some other recorded part of the Bible, but I can't think of, a, of another spot. So if you think of a spot where Mary spoke other than John 2 at the wedding in Cana, uh, let me know. But, but that's important, I think, for this reason. She is a very uh, key player in what God has done in salvation history. And of all the things that she said, God saw fit to preserve these words uh, above perhaps any other. And so we learn so much about who Mary is. By the way, she breaks out into praise. We see her action throughout the Gospels. Already we've seen, I guess she did speak to the angel Gabriel, and she submitted herself so quickly and easily to the will of God, even though he had promised her this fantastic thing that put her in a difficult position socially. And now as she goes to visit Elizabeth, and what Gabriel said to her is confirmed, she breaks out into song. And she is a model for us then of how we ought to praise God. Today we're going to look at this Christmas hymn by Mary. Would you just pause with me as uh, I pray for us and join me as we pray that God would open our our minds and our, our souls, our hearts, soften them, that we may see the words of God through Mary And rejoice with her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our soul magnifies You. We rejoice in You and Your Son and the Holy Spirit, God our Savior. You have looked on us. And You have blessed us. You who are mighty have done great things for us. You are holy. We thank you that your mercy is for all of us from generation to generation who fear you. And through every day and every year and every century and every millennium of history, you have shown your might. You have scattered the proud. You've brought down the mighty. You've exalted the humble. You've filled the hungry. You've sent away the rich empty, and you have helped your servant Israel. You've kept your promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You've kept your word as delivered through Moses and David and all of your prophets, and all of this comes to perfect fulfillment in your Son, Jesus, our Messiah. So we praise you. With Mary, we praise you. I pray that you'd be with me, guard my tongue, help me to speak your words, nothing more, nothing less. I pray for this church that you would bind us together by your Spirit who dwells in us, that though we have many differences as individuals and families, we have one great thing in common, and that's the gospel of your salvation made possible through Jesus Christ. Unite us according to this gospel under the headship of Jesus. Glorify yourself this morning and build us up. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard uh, just recently again, maybe it was the second or third time, that I heard this song uh, where the Gettys, Keith and Getty, Kristen Getty, took the Magnificat and they turned it into a song. And I wondered, why, why haven't I heard more songs at Christmas based on this beautiful piece of Scripture? I mean, this is a Christmas hymn given to us by the Mother of God. And when I say that, I don't mean to exalt Mary above Her being a a, a sinful woman that God used in a mighty way and conceived his son in her womb and she brought forth the Messiah who is fully God and fully man and so she's the mother of God. It's all about Jesus being God. So, So what a beautiful Christmas hymn that I hope will resonate in our hearts this Christmas season. Uh, As Blair did, I asked him to read Hannah's song because there's so much that we just don't have time to get into. Uh, But as I emailed to you and Blair has already shared with you, there's so much here that that is rich for us to mind. Just look for the allusions. Maybe you have a Bible that will show you all of the different allusions and citations to the Old Testament. Go back, read them, try to understand uh, the, the rich Uh, Wealth of God's Word that Mary is drawing upon here as she rejoices spontaneously, but in her spontaneity rooted in the traditions of the Old Testament. And she understands the Gospel based on her understanding of the Word of God, what we call the Old Testament, her Bible. Today we're not going to delve much into that except to just note it and leave it with you. Uh, But we want to look at the way in which this hymn is structured. There's three parts to it really. And you could divide it, I suppose, different ways. But we're going to look at three parts this morning. We see that in the first part, Mary praises God for what he has done for her personally. See that in verses 46 through 49. Uh, the second part, Mary praises God for what he has done for all people. So, so you see a transition. Praise you, God, for what you've done for me and also for all people in all generations. So, so Mary is unique, no one else has conceived God in, in their womb, and yet what has been uniquely given to her is shared with all generations, that's the point. That's the second part of the hymn that goes from verses 50 to 53. And then the final uh, part is that Mary praises God for what he has done for Israel specifically. as verses 54 and 55. Uh, now, even though this is a praise to God for what he has done for Israel specifically, what we know is that what God has done for Israel is a blessing through Israel to the world. So it's not as though, well, we don't have to sort of uh, pay attention to the third part because that's for Israel and not for us. No, the way in which God blesses Israel pours over and blesses all nations. I mean, it's right there. We're going to get to it at the end. Uh, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's, That's what Mary is celebrating at the end of her hymn. So we're going to, that's the structure of this morning's message. We're going to look at each part in order. So the first part, Mary praises God for what he has done for her personally. There's a very intimate moment between God and Mary that we're invited into. This is how it goes. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, who is my Savior. Mary then goes and she she gives two reasons for this. Why is she magnifying the Lord? Why is she rejoicing in God her Savior? Well, there's two reasons, and each of those reasons has a sub-point. So the first reason is, I, I magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. She's referencing herself. He, here we have this great God in heaven, and, and he's noticed me. How do we know this? Like, how does Mary know that the great God in heaven has noticed her? For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed because of this great thing that he has done for me. So here I am, this teenage girl, in Nazareth, and there was a, a a proverb at the time, which was, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" I won't substitute a Canadian equivalent in case someone's from one of those places, but we all know those places, right? Oh, you're from where? Ah, oh, it's too bad. That's what it was like to to come from from Nazareth. It was it was like you're from Nazareth. That that is not a place where you want to be from. And yet here I am, this insignificant teenage virgin from Nazareth and God has looked on me and now all generations are going to look on me and they're going to say, I was blessed in a unique way by God. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, her soul magnifies the Lord and she rejoices in God her Savior, number two, because He has done mighty things for me. These all work together. And what is the mighty thing? God has fulfilled all of his promises to the patriarchs in her. That that she bears in her womb the answer to all of Israel's prayers and hopes and desires and needs. He's done this mighty thing for me. Reflected on this, then Mary says, holy is his name. Only God would do something like this. This is not of man. This is of God. Holy is God. He is so other than us. Perfect in all of his ways. And we see there this this beautiful, perfect submission to the will and promise of God. The major theme of this section then is that God is great and I'm not. God you're great and I'm not. That that's the if you could strike a tone a musical note for this part of of Mary's prayer. That's it. God is great. I'm not. So I praise him. I want us to notice something here though that we have to uh, observe in Mary's praise This distinction between her and God. God is great. He is holy. He is the Savior. Uh, She's magnifying Him. She is insignificant. She is of humble estate, distinction, a vast chasm between the two. And yet Mary does not wallow in this place. That's not the end of it. She doesn't then proceed into, woe is me, I am a wretch, I am a sinner. No, she she immediately transitions, God is great and I am not. He is holy and I am humble. He resides in, in heaven and I come from Nazareth. You know, it's all implied here, I think. But then she goes on and she rejoices. She humbly receives God's blessings. And she rejoices and she praises God, she magnifies God, and she says, I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I receive that. I, I want that. that. I take it. It's mine because you have given it to me. So she rejoices and celebrates, and, and she's glad. Do you see that? What, what, the tone of her praise is gladness, and joy, and happiness, and celebration, I would just suggest that, that our worship then ought to emulate Mary's worship. Our rejoicing ought to emulate and imitate the way in which Mary understands the distinction between God's greatness and her, her insignificance. I would even go so far as to say that she's very fully aware of her sinfulness. She says, I, I rejoice in God my Savior. I need a Savior. She, she knows who she is before God. So we have to do that. What I have found in, in, in my own experience personally, so I've gone through seasons personally, where I can hit that note really hard. God is great and I am not. God is great and I'm I am not. I've seen it in, in the people that I've discipled, in the churches I've been a part of, uh, that there are some people that, that can really hit that note. God is great and I am not. And some churches seem to, to be, do an excellent job of, of revering God, fearing God, falling down prostate before God. And that's all good, but, but then when it stops, and there's, there's no rejoicing, I just wonder if that's God's desire for us. Now I've seen other churches, and I've, uh, let's start with myself, I've gone through other seasons of life where the intimacy that I've enjoyed with God and the, the coming together of God and His, his mercy and His grace and, and the way in which He has drawn near to me, it's so easy sometimes to accentuate that and to forget that God is holy and to be feared and to be revered and, and, and then it's so easy to accentuate the grace of God and the closeness of God and the intimacy of God and, and all of a sudden he becomes this domesticated God that, that we become casual with and, and, and if we don't check ourselves then we become, we elevate ourselves over God and we begin to create God in our image rather than, than looking into his scriptures to see how he has revealed himself to us. What I love about this first part of, of Mary's hymn is that she does neither of those two extremes and she does both together? Uh, she recognizes that God is holy and she's not, that, that she needs a savior. But at the same time, she doesn't stop there. She rejoices in the saving work of God and, and the drawing near of God. And how how could she not when when she has the Son of God in her womb? So so she she is able to keep these two. Very important aspects to our relationship with God in their proper place. The transcendent glory of God and the imminent drawing near of God, both at the same time. I want to say it to you this way. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a filthy sinner. You're not a filthy sinner. You're... You're not a wretch anymore if you put your faith in in Christ. It's true, you were, you were at one time. But you're not anymore. I'm not anymore. In fact, we are saints. We are saints. What does that word mean, that we are saints? The word just means we're holy, We praise God because he is holy and we praise God because though we were wretched sinners, he has made us holy. And he is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. Now, do we, do we fall short? Do we fall into sin? Is there still a great distance between the creator of the universe and us? Absolutely. And so, yes, we continue to revere God, the God who is great, the God who has no dependencies, and we are entirely dependent on Him. And yet, we glorify God the most when we receive what He wants to give us. The way that Mary received what God gave to her, that, that unique blessing of Jesus Christ in her womb. We receive it. And so when we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection, we are no longer wretched sinners. We are holy. We are saints. That's why Paul, in his letters, says, if you are holy, act like it. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, don't unite yourself with those who are not. So, The distinction is still made. I mean, we're we're not making ourselves into God here. And yet we rejoice that God has made us holy. And so our prayers and our worship should go something like this. God, you are holy. You are perfect. And I was lost. I was blind, but now I've been found. Now I can see. I was a wretched sinner, but now I am holy. And you are doing a good work in me, and you are transforming me, and your spirit resides in me, and I am being changed. Help me to bring you glory by the way I live my life. You see, it's just so different than you're holy and I'm not. 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. We are God's children now, already. And what we will be, we do not yet know what that will be like. That is, when we are, when we are fully glorified, raised bodily from the dead, and all of our sinful nature is just washed away. We don't know what that will be like, but we are His children now, and what we will be, we will be like Him holy. We won't become God, but we'll be like him, Jesus. For we will see him as he is. You see, the depth of the gospel is that God is doing a transforming work in us. Let us receive the good gift of the gospel. We once were lost, now we're found. We were wretched sinners, now we're children of God. That's the first part. Mary praises God very intimately about what he has done for her. The second part, Mary. Mary praises God for what he has done for all people. Take a look at verses 50 to 53. And his mercy, this is the mercy of God, is for those who fear him. For who? For all generations. From generation to generation. And he has strength with his arm, so he has he has blessed Mary uniquely. But this blessing overflows from Mary for all who fear him in every generation. Now, now Mary says the way in which God has strength. us five ways. How are we now? Oh, that's better. So the first part of the prayer, or the praise, this Christmas hymn of Mary. Mary praised God for what he had done for her personally. But we see that there's personal application for us, right? We ought to praise God the way Mary praises God. Notice the distinction between us and God, but then also praise God for the blessings he wants to give us, that he has drawn near to us. Uh, Second thing, Mary praises God for what he has done for all people, that his mercy is for those who fear him in every generation god extends his blessing with his strong arm and we see the activity of god in five ways as mary points it out number 1 god has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts number 2 is related he has brought down the mighty from their thrones Number three, he has exalted those of humble estate. And number four, he has filled the hungry with good things. Five, the rich he has sent away empty. So to summarize this, Mary rejoices that God's blessings are not just for her. That, that she's not alone in receiving the blessings of God. That, that the blessings of God are for all who fear Him. So, so don't misunderstand what we went before. Uh, never would I suggest that we ought to become casual with God. Yes, He has made us to be holy. He is transforming us. But we still must fear the God who cannot be tamed. The God who cannot be tamed. The God who cannot be contained. We fear him, and anyone in any generation who recognizes who God is and who they are in light of who God is, God is willing to extend to them blessings. God will bless the humble, God will bless the hungry. A word about humility, this, this hunger. I mean, there's a sense in which those who are physically hungry, God God will fill them up with eternal riches, with eternal food, with the one, one thing that we all need. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's the word of God that will raise us up and sustain our bodies by resurrection from the dead. But a word about this humility and this hunger, uh, there is a false humility and there is a false hunger that we can fall into. What does it mean to be humble? Does it mean that we have to loathe ourselves? Does it mean that we have to say that we're not good at anything? Do we have to always defer and say, well, no, you know, I could have done better. Uh, can can we say, well, actually, I'm quite skilled at this. Is that a proud thing to say? I think false humility, there are some athletes that exhibit a false humi- humility. It might be a superstition. You know those baseball players that hit the home run, and then as they're coming around third base, they cross themselves and point up to heaven? They're more like saying, th- uh, you're welcome, than then thank you. You're welcome, I did that, and... I'm pointing to you now. You're welcome, God. You're sure lucky to have a, a good hitter like me on your team. Not always. I don't want to take that away from every athlete. But, but sometimes, you know what I mean? Sometimes it just looks that way. That th- That's a real false humility. But there's another athlete that I think most of us are familiar with. If you've seen Chariots of Fire, Eric Little. Now, there was a true humility. But he didn't say that he was slow. He, he didn't say that he was a bad runner. What did he say? God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's true humility. So what what gift has God given you? Don't deny that God has given you the gift. You say, God has made me to be skilled and excellent at this. And when I exercise that talent, or when I exercise that gift, I feel the Lord's pleasure. That's true humility. Now, God will reject the proud, the mighty, and the rich. God opposes the proud. I was trying to think of uh, an example for these things. The proud, the mighty, and the rich. I could probably, and I don't want to step on anyone's toes here, but I could probably summarize these three things with one word. Trump. Now, whatever you think about Trump, as far as you're glad that he won or law or whatever, uh, that doesn't matter. The fact is, he is proud, to the point of arrogance. He is mighty, possibly the most powerful man in the world, depending on how he uses the office of the President of the United States. And he is rich. He'll tell you how rich he is. Which... It's very interesting then. He, he becomes almost a caricature in my mind, almost a biblical character of the kind of man that God will use for his purposes, not denying that. And yet, if God opposes the proud, the mighty, and the rich, it makes me wonder what we're in for in the world over the next four years. Now, I think we need to pray for him, and we need to pray for the United States. We want, need to pray for our own leaders. Uh... And and I I believe that God is in control of history. No one rises to the position of President of the United States without God being in it. God is sovereign. And God's will shall be done. There's there's no question about that. And there may be some very good things that God will bring about through this man. Uh, But I think we could pray for him that God would draw near to him and that he would draw near to God for the sake of the United States or for the sake of Canada. The major theme of this section, then, is that God draws near to the humble, but he casts away the proud and the haughty. For us, then, what is it that we want to be? How do we want to draw close to God? Well, Mary's son preaches this in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. individuals then and as the church let us seek the blessings of God by being poor in spirit none of us can save ourselves, Mary knew that by mourning that we still wrestle with sin tendencies and desires for being meek Not looking to lord over any power or position or authority that God might give us in our family, at work, in the church. But seeking to bless others by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Desiring greater righteousness in ourselves, in our church, in our city, in our country. And for being willing to go forward and to share the gospel even if it brings persecution into our lives. No one can be saved without humility. No one can praise God without humility because we so easily as fallen human beings substitute God for ourselves. So if you have put Christ on the throne, keep him there, worship him, honor him and thank him. One of the great dangers that we face as 21st century Canadians is that we are relatively wealthy. Uh, last night we went to First Light at uh, St. Marie among the Hurons and, and there was something romantic about it. You know, there was all lit up with candlelight. And I mean historically romantic, not romantic uh, in, you know, relationally, but historically you think, ah, oh, it wouldn't have been nice, you know, it's so simple. A simple life just here amongst the wood and the candles and the cannons and the muskets. And and you think, wow, that would be good. Then you remember that it would have been very cold in the winter. You don't know if you're going to have enough food to last you through the week or the month or the season. Uh, If you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you have to go outside to a hole in the ground. If you need water, you need to go to the lake or you need to dig a deep hole to get the water uh, there's so many things that, you know, I turn on a light. I, I put another log on the fire by turning up my furnace. Uh, I have a shot a hot shower in the morning. One advantage, though, that they had over us is it's very difficult for them to become proud and self-reliant. I mean, when you have every comfort at your fingertips, it becomes so easy to sort of forget about God, to sort of cut Him out of the equation. But, but when you don't know if you have food... Next week, how might that change your approach to prayer and worship? That It humbles us. And so one of the real dangers for us is that we have all of these things. If I want to eat a strawberry in January, I will. If I want to have some Mexican fruit in February, I'll buy it. They had to boil uh, cedar or, or pine needles in hot water so they didn't get scurvy. It's just the differences. So, so we have a very real vulnerability here in, in our cultural context. That, that wasn't true for most people over most times. And so we have to be very careful in our relative wealth. And you we say, well, I don't feel wealthy. Well, relatively speaking, we are all very wealthy. Which makes this part, that he has sent away the rich empty. How do you preach that? How do you receive that? How do you pray, pray that? When we're all wealthy. I don't for a moment believe that the answer is that we all become poor. That's not really what's happening here. But as as God spoke through Paul to Timothy in Ephesus, as for the rich, it's us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty proud or arrogant in their riches, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches here today, gone tomorrow, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves and a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God sends away the rich. Does does God then do an inventory, an audit of our bank accounts? And if we have too much, he sends us away? Not at all. It's those who believe they're rich in heaven because of the riches they have on earth that he sends away. But if we have the right perspective that the bank account that really matters is in heaven... And it's filled with eternal riches. If, if that's the bank account that really matters, then we all with Mary have to admit that we're pretty poor and insignificant and that we depend on the riches of Christ to fill up our account because all of us have a very real debt unless it is paid in full by the son of Mary. So part one of this Christmas hymn, Mary praises God for what he has done for her. God is great, and she is not. But she receives with worship and thanksgiving the blessings that God has given to her. It's great. Part two, Mary praises God that the blessings that she has received is not just for her, but it's for all people in every generation, if they fear the Lord. If they have a right understanding of who God is and of who they are. And if they cry out for mercy, if they look for their debt to be canceled by the wealth of Mary's son, God's son and they, f- they look to their eternal bank account more than their temporal bank account, then they will be filled with the riches of God. Finally, we come to the third part of the hymn, which is this. Mary praises God for what he has done for Israel specifically. Verses 54 to 55. Mary prays, "He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, just as He spoke to our fathers, specifically to Abraham and to His offspring forever." So, in Mary's mind, here as we as we look at sort of the uh, the echoes of the Old Testament, there's more than just God's promises to Abraham in view, but those are the ones that she highlights in her praise because that's where God started with Israel, with Abraham, and Mary says, by conceiving Jesus in her womb, God has helped Israel. God has been faithful to Israel in spite of Israel. In spite of the faithlessness of the nation of Israel, God has been faithful. God has kept His unconditional promises even while God also kept His conditional promises. We went over the conditional promises last week, right? That if you do well in the land, if you keep the law, then you'll be blessed. If you break uh, the law in the land, you'll be cursed. But but behind those promises were unconditional promises which says that God is going to do something great through Abraham and his offspring. God is going to do something great through Abraham's family and the nation of Israel in spite of Abraham's family and Israel. And what Mary recognizes here in her praise is that God has done it. God has kept his unconditional promises to be a blessing to Israel and the nations in spite of Israel's failure. Mary is thinking specifically of Genesis 12, 1 to 3. That's where she starts. And I believe that if you talk to her, she would go further. But this is what she alludes to here. uh, and, And this is what the Lord said to Abraham. This is in Mary's mind. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's way back in Genesis 12. And what Mary recognizes in her Christmas hymn is God has done it. God has kept his promise The major theme then of this third part of Mary's praise is that God is a God who keeps his promises. If God has kept his promises to Abraham, he will surely keep his promises to us through Jesus Christ. God's promises to Abraham were a land. God gave Israel the land and the land that God gave to Israel is fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth for all people. God has made Abraham's name great. God has blessed him. He has blessed those who have blessed him. And he has cursed those who have cursed him. And, and we bless Abraham or curse Abraham with what we do with Abraham's son, Jesus the Messiah. So if God has kept his promises to bless all the families of the earth through him and through his offspring, Jesus, will he not keep the promises that he has given to us? Of course he will. God always keeps his promises. And what are some of these promises? God will forgive us and declare us to be righteous. That's a promise. Do you struggle with forgiveness? God has promised to forgive you if you put your faith in Jesus, if you give Jesus your sin. He will make you righteous. He will impute Christ's righteousness to you now, and he will transform you in experience all the way to glory so that what he declares to be true of you now will be true of you when you are raised from the dead. God has promised that we will be born again. The old heart is gone. A new heart has been given. God has promised that we will be sanctified. What is the sin that just gnaws on your life, that that you just keep repeating over and over and over again? Well, God has promised if you put your confidence in Him, He will give you victory. You walk by the Spirit of God and you see increasing holiness manifested in your life. That's a promise. God has promised that we will be raised bodily from the dead. So that death does not have the last word. You put my body in the ground, God will bring it out of the ground. That's a promise. God has promised that we will be given eternal life. I mean, I, God has put eternity in our hearts, so that when our life is interrupted by death, that seems shocking. But then, on the on the other side, doesn't also seem kind of shocking that we will live forever? But we will. Forever. God has promised that we will see God, and we will. God has promised that He will give us a new heavens and a new earth in which we will live forever and ever. And, and the glory of that new creation will far surpass the majesty and the, the wondrous beauty of, of this fallen creation in which we live right now. God has promised that we will reign with Christ in every age to come. That He will elevate us above every other creature. Not just for a time, but forever forever. And ever. So when when Mary in her Christmas hymn thinks back to Abraham and to all of the fathers, says, Oh God, I rejoice in you because you keep your promises. You've kept your promises to Abraham. I say, We rejoice because as God kept his promises to Abraham, he will keep his promises through Jesus Christ to us. And so let us this Christmas not make the gospel small. It's not just about getting out of hell. It's about all of the good things that God wants to lavish upon us. So what do we celebrate at Christmas? What should we sing about? We should sing that God is great and we are not. But he has done great things for us. And we receive these great things. We, we, we sing that God draws near to the humble. When, when we know who God is and who we are. That Though we are blessed with great material wealth and possessions. That, that our bank account in heaven is what truly matters. And when we are poor in spirit and we say that's where we want to invest ourselves, he will draw near to us. But he casts away the proud. Those who think that what they have accomplished for themselves on earth will sustain them into eternity. And finally, we praise God that he is a God who keeps his promises. In light of this, with an appropriate humility, be glad and rejoice. The great God of the universe has remembered us because of his son, Mary's son, Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that we can rejoice with Mary because of Jesus, her son, and your son, our God and King. This Christmas, help us to be mindful of all of these things that it would enrich our celebration, uh, that we would uh, celebrate in our own hearts with our families and then be a witness in the world, a world that thinks they know what Christmas is all about, but so often they are so far off the mark. Let us not with pride or arrogance go with this good gospel message in the world, but with humility and love share this Christmas hymn this season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.